Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. And welcome into AOA here today. Jesse Allen in for Mike Pearson on the show. Thank you so much for joining us as we talk about issues impacting rural America here and talk about agriculture. Coming up on today's program, we're going to talk markets and the recent market slide here in the last week or so with Christy Van On Shisith of Van On and Company. In segment two, we're going to expand the market discussion. We're going to look bigger picture, look at the global outlook with farm input costs thrown in there as well. Stephen Nicholson, global sector strategist for grains and oil seeds at Rabobank, will join the show as well. Coming up in segment three, we're going to turn our focus to sustainability. We're going to be joined by Tyson Foods, Dr. Justin Ransom, Senior Director of Sustainable Food Strategy, and Chad Martin, VP of Cattle Procurement, to learn more about their Climate Smart Beef program. And finally, in segment four today, we're going to talk about alfalfa production and management with Curtis Rainbolt, technical service rep with BASF. So a jam-packed show for you here today. Well, I mentioned the markets have been under heavy pressure here the last week or so. And joining us as we talk about the trade and market analysis, Christy Van On Shisith with Van On and Company is with us today. Christy, uh, thanks for joining us overall. This market on Friday, at least starting the day off on a more of a mixed, quiet tone, but it has just been a rough, ugly week throughout this market trade, hasn't it? Yeah, it has not been fun. You started off the week and we really hammered these markets to try and hold support line. You held that 541 to uh, 544 level consistently the first beginning of the week for December corn. But once we broke that, we broke that and the sellers just showed up. And now you have to look at this market and say, you know, where is our next point of, of support if we can't get something? And beans have been really trying to hold on on their own. Uh, but when they don't have a friend with them, that doesn't help at all. And so we see these markets trying to stabilize themselves, but really just above a key support line here for November soybeans. You're looking at the potential for um, coming down and hitting that recent low that we saw back in March. That's uh, 1247 and a half. And, and it feels like the market wants to go there. The next support line when you're looking at December corn is 497 on our charts. And so that's also a point that we're looking at saying, hey, if we can't stabilize, it does feel like it wants to go there. And I think that would really catch the market off guard because for the longest time, when you're talking food inflation and the, the tighter carryouts that we have in the world, issues with Ukraine and Russia, you really didn't think you would have a four in front of a corn market for a while. And I think that was a mentality behind so many people. And it's very real now that you could see that come down to that 497 price point. When you look at the wheat complex, you know, you look at these markets and, and they have the fundamental stories behind them. But right now, there's just too much coming on top of them when you look at it, especially for the wheat complex. We know that uh, we have all the issues in Russia and Ukraine, very, very tight carryouts domestically. One of the poorest conditions winter wheat crop we've had in quite some time. But it does seem like, hey, recent rains trump that, right? Everything's mm -hmm. going to be okay after this small recent rain. Uh, and that's just not the case. So I think eventually the markets are going to uh, catch on to some of these stories. But the main thing is how low do we go until we get there? And, and for us, it looks like these markets want to eye 497 D's corn, 1247 and a half November beans. And if you're looking at spring wheat, probably about that 750 level for September. Definitely much lower than these markets have been. And I, I know, Christy, as we watch things, you mentioned just some of the liquidation, the heavy fund selling throughout these markets. And I think that's just a testament to when we start to see that fund selling and then we get some of the computer algo trading thrown in there and the path of least resistance to the downside just shows how quickly these markets can take a tumble. Yeah, and there is there's a slew of bearish information out there right now. You know, China came in and canceled uh, two different sales in corn. We don't want to see that. Uh, Brazil's had good growing conditions for their second corn crop. Um, that's probably why China's coming in here and canceling some. So we saw that happen. That's not what we want to see. We need that demand to really stick for this corn market. We also see economic concerns with debt ceiling. Uh, we have interest rates that are very, very achievable and attainable uh, for people to come in here and, and move their money over to CDs or sit on the sidelines and still be getting a decent rate. So we see that mm -hmm. happening right now. And we're also looking at a, a pocket of 
planting opportunity for almost everywhere. It's cool. It's wet here in uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, but the forecast does dry up and warm up. And we know we started much later here last year that we can do it again. And so right now you just kind of have all this information that's making people want to be sellers. And you reach that point where I think it really scares people and you start to have people puking. And I think that's probably what you saw here on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday today is that you've reached a point where the farmer still sees some profitability. So they're going to sell. You see the investment fund saying, hey, we broke some key support lines. We're going to get in here and sell this market for the time being as well. One headline that we got late Thursday, early Friday. I just want to get your thoughts on this real quick. It sounds like this is a Bloomberg headline. The Biden EPA is going to approve a summertime waiver for E15 sales this summer. Do you think if we do get confirmation of that expected on Friday, do you think that could help out this corn market, maybe stabilize it at all, Christy? I At this point, I think eventually it will, but I think people are in sell mode right now underneath these support lines. And E15 by itself, I don't think can do the job. Um, we know that we need to pick up some demand. And one of the key places we can pick up demand is exports. And we've seen that really dwindle here with those two cancellations. Mm. Uh, so we need to see that feed use. That's another one that we need to see starting to pick up. Um, and so ethanol could it help? Yes, it will help to a degree. But we've talked about E15 for a while. This was a policy that tried to get in place a couple of years ago. Um, and so I think eventually it could help the market. But I think at this point, the market's sick of hearing about it, that they actually want to see it create the demand before they build in that premium. We got about a minute or so here, Christy, uh, real quick, uh, just risk management wise throughout all these markets, whether we're talking grains or even livestock as well, with this big downturn, anything that we need to think about or maybe change with our risk management strategy right now? Yeah, listen, it's been a long time since we've had these stressful situations. Um, my job has been a little bit easier these last couple of years than it has been in the past. Um, and so we're coming into this time frame that we haven't had to deal with for a while. And I think the biggest thing is what helps you sleep at night? If making some sales helps you sleep at night, if it's profitable at this level, get it done make yourself feel better about it. And we can always defend if this market wants to come up higher in various different tools. And so I think you have to just stick to your guns, know what your, your risk tolerance is, know where you have your break evens and where you can make money and just try and push that emotion to the sideline because the emotion gets the best of us a lot of times and it's hard to kind of shut it off. But the best thing you can do is kind of put it on the sidelines and focus on your plan. Fantastic. I've got about 30 more seconds. Any thoughts on that livestock trade? It looks like fairly mixed action on Friday. Yeah. So when you look at the livestock, fundamentally, same situation, um, has that support, has the low inventory. Cash is very, very strong. It seems like there's some pockets out there. So you're trying to build this market. But when you have a cattle on feed that kind of surprised people last Friday, and you really haven't got any new news, it seems to be stabilizing here in Choppy. But for the most part, as long as cash remains strong, I think you're going to see these futures do it as well. Great stuff. Well, we appreciate the time and analysis here today on AOA. Christy Van On, she sits with Van On and Company. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Coming up next, we're going to continue our market discussion. We're going to expand it to the global picture. Also, look at farm input costs. We'll be talking with Stephen Nicholson, grain sector and oil seed specialist with Robobank. He joins the show next. Back with more AOA right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
The archaeological records suggest that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back to AOA. Thanks for sticking with us here, Jesse Allen, and for Mike Pearson today as we're going to continue our focus on the markets and farm inputs here in this segment of the show. Pleased to have with us here on the program, Stephen Nicholson, Global Strategist of Grains and Oil Seeds with Bank, joining us here today. And Steve, thanks so much for the time here and joining us on the program today. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for having me, Jesse. It's good to have a chat. It's uh, been an eventful week, to say the least. It has been a very eventful week. <laughs> We're going to talk about that here during yeah. our discussion today uh, over the grains and oil seeds. But I want to kick things off to set us up a little bit. I know, uh, Robo Research, you guys just put out a North American agribusiness review. A right. lot of different topics here in this review yep. for April, looking at grains, looking at farm inputs, et cetera. Can you maybe just give us some of the highlights from sure. that report, at least sure. grain and oilseed-wise first? Yeah, it's absolutely. So this is a every-other-month report. It does cover all the grains and oilseeds. Uh, we do cover other things as well. But, you know, some of the highlights when you think about, and we'll start with wheat because wheat's the most, you hate to say this, but wheat's the most interesting crop out there right now. You don't get to say that very often about wheat. But, you know, talking about the situation with weather in the Southern Plains, which is not getting better. The other thing I think around that, and this also impacts the corn market, is the whole, you know, Black Seed Grain Initiative. You're mm -hmm. not seeing, you know, Russia, you know, we're coming up on this deadline for Russia on May 19th. It said, you know, the agreement was only for 60 days, not 120 days. Can't seem to agree in Russia's, you know, rat riding a lot of sabers. I think just, the, I think the thing that need to be cautious of here is that we can see a lot of volatility around that time period, particularly the wheat market. Corn may get a little bit of the backlash of that as well uh, as to what Russia does do. The optimistic side of me is that Russia does a lot of saber rattling. This is a lot of saber rattling. When it's all said and done, after a lot of maybe some tantrum tantrums, they'll, they'll be back and we'll move on. 
But corn is, is likely the big disappointment here. The exports just aren't very good. Acres, you know, still have pretty good corn acres in the U.S. this year. One of the topics we had, and, I, and of course, that's going to be a topic as we go forward with both the markets, what the markets are doing, of course, what Mother Nature decides for us this spring. And so we'll have to wait and see where that comes out. And so those are some of the highlights. I think the other last thing is, of course, there's a whole Chinese demand situation. You know, is that good? Is it bad? Is it bad for us because they don't like us or, you know, some sort of political issue or, you know, what it is they seem to be cozying up to the Brazilians right now. But as I always remind people on China, you know, China, if nothing, is pragmatic. And if they need something and we have it at the price they want, they will come to the table and buy. It's, that's, the good, that's the good thing about the Chinese. Glad you brought up China because I think yeah. that will help us with our discussion here because yeah. I've been getting a lot of feeling and hearing from a lot of other folks that they feel like there's a lot of demand destruction going on right now in this market. Do you think that we're seeing that right now, Steve? You know, it's a really interesting question. It's one that we've wrestled with a lot. And, I, and I've wrestled with personally thinking about because people go, well, these high prices and demand destruction and the recession and, you know, everything's bad and it's gloom and doom. And I, I set back and I, I'm going to focus a little bit on the vegetable oils because that's the one that's really the easiest to see from a month to month period. And we do see softness in that market, particularly from a price perspective. But it was instructive when you think about what where we've been. You think about we went into COVID, you know, demand just went through the floor because people all stayed home and went to the grocery stores. So food service, restaurants, quick serve, that all went out the door. But as you remember, as we got into let's say early 21, mm -hmm. people people were done. Now, right, wrong, or different, people were done and they wanted to go back out. So what happened? You saw this huge, what I call, and I put in quotes, post-COVID demand. You saw this huge surge in post-COVID demand and the market wasn't ready for that because there was you know, labor issues and transportation issues and all that. And so we had this huge surge in demand. And so, and, and from a, a buyer's point of view, they wanted to get in the front of the line because they didn't want to get stuck and not have supply. So you saw a lot of increase in inventory. So you had that huge surge of demand. And now people are going, oh my gosh, demand destruction is going apart. But if you look at the oil, if you look at domestic demand for oil through January, soybean oil, it's 2% above a year ago. And you're going, kind of scratch your head and think, well, why is that? And I think what's happened is, is this perception of we have this huge demand and it's now it's it's back to normal. And it, but it's still, it's still good demand. And so it looks like a soft demand when it really isn't. Um, a good example is corn. You think about corn exports the last two years have been tremendous. And now we have sort of pedestrian. It's like, oh boy, this is demand destruction looks bad. So I don't want to be all gloom and doom about it. I think it's just, it's a normalizing of, of that demand sector because we came through pretty, two pretty crazy years uh, mm -hmm. of COVID. And I, and I think we just have to recognize that. So I'm not probably, in, I'm not in the camp that, Oh, this looks horrible. Now, when you look at, and people say, well, high prices and recession and all that sort of thing. If you look at domestic demand for corn, wheat, and soybeans, whether it's here in the United States or globally, and you put, and you start to put, you know, recessions on top of it, you don't see this big downdraft. And you do see, and even high prices doesn't, don't have, doesn't have a big impact on that domestic demand. It does impact exports. And so that's what we're seeing right now is where exports are pulling back a little bit, particularly on the corn side. But again, I think the other thing we're having, even in the GDP, it mentioned it today, the outcome today, is that we see a drawdown in inventories. <clears throat> and my guess is, as we go forward here over the next couple, three months, people are going to have to replenish inventories or they're going to have to come back to the table to get some coverage. So, you know, I think it's, we're kind of in this up and down right now, and we haven't quite find that the, the sweet spot if you have it. Well, Steve, with everything going on here yeah. this last week or so, I mean, we've seen a lot of fund selling, managed money, getting out of positions here yeah. in this market and, and pushing through a lot of a lot of different key support levels here as we're yeah. going into the end of the month. <clears throat> Is there some worry just about a, a, a correction here in these gray markets that we've been seeing the last week or so? Yeah, I think that's it. And, and you kind of hit on a little bit when you talk about, you know, technicals. I think this market is, there's a think a couple things happening here. So one of all, the market hasn't had new news to feed on. You know, we're still talking about the war. We just talked about demand destruction. We're talking about, <clears throat> you know, what's China going to do? This is not new news. This is kind of news that we already know. And so the market's like, well, I don't have anything to talk about. So it's, you know, we're the, the easiest, the, the path of least destruction is down or path of least 
um, resistance is down. And so I think the market's reacting to that. I do think too, is you're obviously today, you're running up against that delivery uh, for the May. And so people are trying to get out of the May and you know kind of move their positions a little far forward. And the funds, we can argue about the funds, are they leaders or are they followers? And they will argue to their followers. And you mentioned it earlier in our, when we we're talking off the air, you start to hit the algorithms, the computer trading, whatever description you want to use. And so this gets a little, what I would say over, it just gets overdone. And you start to look at some of the technicals on these markets and the RSIs and stuff, you know, you're getting to a place now where the market's like, we're oversold. And I would think we're getting pretty close to that spot. And I'm a little worried. You look at these corn breaking through some, some old lows and you have to think, Ooh, boy, is there more, what, what is there more downside here? So as I always say, you know, one day doesn't make a trend. So let's see what the next couple of days look like before we get too excited one way or the other about this. But it does seem like there's a lot of technicals that has been driving the market of late rather than just the fundamentals because the fundamentals are still solid. Well, Steve, tying in with all of this, of course, our yeah. farmers are planting a very yeah. expensive crop right now. The yes. cost of inputs has yeah. been on the rise what are your thoughts with just the state of farm inputs tying into yeah. all of this? Yeah. So we've been talking about the state of farm inputs for 23, really since almost the end of planning in 22. And one of the things we've talked about, and we've had a lot of questions about what do I do with my 23 crop? We've talked about understand where your costs are, what are your margins, and do you have a goal? Is it a percentage goal? Is it a, so many cents per bushel or a dollar goal, whatever it is? You know, let's determine that goal and then market to that. And so now you start to look at corn, you know, getting closer to that $5 area on the board. Now, granted, basis, it remains still fairly stiff. So that helps. But you're getting to the point where corn is, you know, it's it's costing $5 or more to put it in the ground this year because of whatever machinery costs or diesel costs or land costs or fertilizer costs or seed costs, whatever. It's all of them this year. You know, you're now getting to a place where it's a little bit more, that margin gets a little squeezed. We do still think that 23 will be a positive margin here for most producers, but you have to be able to lock that margin in to say that I have a positive margin for the year. So, you know, if I was a producer right now, I certainly, you look at this downdraft here the last several days, you think, now what do I do? And and that's a tough call. Again, if you don't have anything on for 23, then you need to do some, you know, you need to really get that pencil sharpened up and really look about where you are and what you can lock in. Can you lock in some margin now? Yeah, I think that, you know, if you can do that, you probably ought to do that. And if that's the worst margin you locked in for the year, so be it. But if you've got some coverage in front of you, then you've got a little bit more cushion to kind of wait this out a little bit to see if you get a little backup. Let's say it, the weather turns bad over the next 10 days. I mean, we got out of the fields for a week. You know, that's going to, the market's going to pay attention to that a little bit. So again, I know it's a busy time of year producers. I get it, but it's also time you need to pay, you know, you got to pay attention as well. Well, we appreciate the time with that. Stephen Nicholson, Global Strategist, Grains and Oil Seeds with Rumble Bank. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. Great to talk to you. And stick around. More AOA coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. 
Corn futures are lower this morning, down for the seventh time in the past eight trading days. Putting pressure on corn today is another cancellation by China yesterday, bringing the total cancellations from China to near 21 million bushels in the past 10 days, and the favorable planting weather ahead are factoring in today. Export sales last week were disappointing, with just 15.7 million bushels sold, while total sales commitments remain down 33% from a year ago. Now, there are more showers falling in the southern plains and up into the upper Midwest before things turn drier here. A brief colder spell with some frost possible down to the Texas Panhandle will be followed by drier and warmer weather. Brazil's corn basis had plunged even with plenty of time ahead of their second corn harvest as logistical problems are expected. Now, with regards to the Black Sea Grain Corridor, it is becoming more likely that Russia will not agree to extend the agreement without some relaxation of restrictions imposed. That should be a positive for U.S. corn demand. And with the sharp drop in open interest in the past week, it seems likely that funds are strangely building a larger shortened corn ahead of the growing season. Open interest fell by 13,000 contracts yesterday. There were zero corn deliveries against the expiring May contract. Both old and new crop corn remain in bearish trends. And the recent plunge in prices has made U.S. soft red wheat the cheapest wheat offer in the world. Now we'll see if that leads to any additional export business. U.S. wheat sales last week were a meager 5.7 million bushels, with total wheat shipments rising to 4% below a year ago levels. Various private wheat tours will soon begin, and we'll likely hear the horror stories of hard red winter in the driest areas, with abandonment rates expected to be quite high. A better forecast for the Northern Plains should allow a pickup in spring wheat seeding there, but floods are impacting barge traffic up north. Paris milling features hit another new low today, having fallen for six of the past eight days. And China will be closed for its annual Labor Day holiday starting tomorrow, which will continue through Wednesday of next week. This is AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen and for Mike Pearson here today. Joining us now, we're going to talk sustainability with Tyson Fresh Meats. Joining us on the program, Dr. Justin Ransom, Senior Director of Sustainable Food Strategy at Tyson Foods, and Chad Martin, VP of Cattle Procurement at Tyson Fresh Meats. Gentlemen, thank you uh, for joining us on the show today. I hope you're doing well. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. Well, Chad, Justin, let's dive in and some very interesting, uh, exciting things going on with Tyson Foods right now. We're talking about the Climate Smart Beef Program. And just to start, uh, how did Tyson Foods create the Climate Smart Beef Program? What is it and, and what led to the launch? You know, we've been on a journey for quite a while in terms of being able to bring this to market. Um, we were challenged a number of years ago to set a science-based target and, and a net zero target. And with beef and the emissions from uh, the beef business being a majority of, or more than a majority of uh, our total emissions, we really figured out we needed to have a, a pathway of how, how can we reduce emissions in our beef and beef value chain that we can be able to talk with different stakeholders around the good things that are happening in agriculture and and how do we bring something like this to market? So everything from bringing scientists into the conversation, NGOs with EDF and TNC, um, Deloitte, 
has helped us with with the data and the data frameworks, and then progressive producers like Adams Land and Cattle, as well as uh, the farmers and ranchers that they're buying cattle from. So a lot of people have been involved and or a journey, and, and we're just getting started. Well, obviously, sustainability is such a huge topic throughout agriculture right now. It's great to see programs like this getting going. So let's look a little more at the nuts and bolts. How does the Climate Smart Beef program work exactly? Well, I think it'd be best for us to to go back to the to the very very beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the first the first part of this is um, producers participating in as we build this supply chain. And there's some there's some key things that that have to be done on the front end. Um, one is they do have to be enrolled in a verified program. Um, today, that's under the beef care program from where food comes from. And that becomes a foundation uh, for uh, enrollment into this in, into the brazen uh, beef program that we've rolled out. The second thing is they have to agree to not sell their carbon rights. These travel with the animal as it goes through the supply chain. They have to uh, share the relevant operational information to go into the accounting framework or calculator that that we've developed to be able to uh, just demonstrate how much of a reduction that we've had on overall greenhouse gases. And then they have to uh, participate in on-farm audits. We take all of that from the very beginning. The animals move through the supply chain. And as they move through the supply chain, we continue to collect data uh, on an individual animal basis all the way up until the point in time that it goes onto the harvest floor. And then we calculate again that per animal basis with an individual electronic ID, what was the reduction back to the baseline. And so that's the that's the operational nuts and bolts on it from beginning to end. I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. add more to that too, Justin. Well, you know, I think I think the while we're pulling data out of the value chain, we're also mm-hmm. ultimately going to be sharing data back with producers. So they understand how their animals are performing, uh, both in the feedlot as well as uh, on the rail. And we can get individual animal and, and carcass information back to that farm of origin um, as, as part of the program, as a value for, for producers and participating in programs like this. Um, but, you know, this... This is really all about how do we create a more resilient farm and ranch sector, um, both economically as well as environmentally. How do we make us more resilient uh, during droughts uh, or, or storms? And so I think what we're trying to do is how do we ultimately create value for producers to participate in programs like this? Well, it seems like a lot of great benefits for producers and the value there, and of course, helping with sustainability goals across the country, across the globe. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier uh, some of the collaborators, EDF, the Nature Conservancy, Deloitte, Adams Land and Cattle, et cetera. What was their role in helping to kind of develop this program? Can you expand on that a little bit more? I'll I'll start with the first. Um, You know, it was really... When, when we started working on this concept, we knew we needed to bring some critical thinkers along along as well to think over our shoulder, to, to look over our shoulder and make sure mm-hmm. our math was right, um, but also just help us think more holistically. And I think that was one of the reasons, you know, we brought, we asked, uh, you know, the Nature Conservancy to to uh, help us and, and where food comes from on the beef care standard. Initially, that was probably almost three years ago. And they began really bringing in the, the detailed criteria in the beef care standard relative to environment, such that, uh, you know, it was it gave uh, expectations around pasture management and and having a pasture management plan and bringing in the detail that that standard really that added value to that standard. And then, you know, EDF, we've worked with them for several years uh, relative to row crops and uh, using their nitrogen balance uh, focus, which is how do we optimize the use of nitrogen, which we know nitrogen is the largest driving factor or source of emissions in, in grain production. And so working with, with experts and stakeholders that could really give us their perspective and show that, that we as a, as a food company and, and a, an important player in the broader food sector and agriculture sector, uh, we're trying to we're trying to bring uh, 
progressive thinking into this conversation. And it's not just, uh, and we want to be transparent that, that mm-hmm. everybody can, can understand what we're doing and the impact that we're making and how can we bring others along on the journey with us on this. Chad, you want to talk about the other people that were involved? Yeah, absolutely. So then, you know, we, we talk about, we go back to where, where food comes from. Um, they become, they become not only just the beef care standard uh, that Justin referred to, but also the boots on the ground that are able to collect the data and the information that's needed to go into the, into the calculator. Adams land and cattle company um, as a, as a feeding partner, they had the infrastructure in place to be able to track animals on the individual basis all the way, all the way through from, from receipt to receivable of the animal to the point in time that it delivers to us with that and in doing that and, and already having that in place, um, that, that really helped us to be able to, to tie the whole program together. And in Justin referred to earlier, you know, there's a value proposition and, and with them, with the Adams team being able to collect data as they can and do, and then put it into our calculator, the information that can flow back up that chain to the producer on not only carcass quality and carcass yield and those attributes, but also feeding performance and closeouts and how the animals did in the feed yard to help that producer and their family be able to make better decisions, breeding, genetics, uh, overall operational management, for long-term sustainability and profitability of their operation. And so uh, bringing all of those together then allowed us to be able to get to the point that we could, we could have this. Uh, and again, uh, I've said a couple of times, I'll say it again on an individual animal basis. Well, obviously uh, with the whole climate smart beef program fitting into Tyson's broader sustainability goals. And I just think in, in general, you know, it sounds like a lot of the same sustainability goals throughout agriculture, throughout the supply chain, when it comes to looking at our emissions, et cetera, et cetera, there's so much wrapped up in, in the sustainability conversation right now, but it sounds like Tyson, you guys have really taken a proactive approach here. Really? You know, we, we believe agriculture and beef production specifically can be part of the climate solution. And it's really about how do we, how do we characterize it as such and bringing brazen beef to market as part of, um, being able to demonstrate how beef can be sustainable and is sustainable, um, how practice change can result in reduced emissions that we can quantify uh, on an individual rancher basis, and that that our customers can participate in that as well. And so, you know, we we started this journey kind of uh, a bit of a leap of faith, backed backed by data, uh, that that we could find a way to to invest in our value chain, connect the dots. Uh, with the data and ultimately work with customers who have robust targets. Uh, but it's, you know, the farmers and ranchers are at the root of all of this. And, and we want to make sure that, that they understand uh, the benefits of participating in, in Climate Smart Beef and specifically uh, the branded program of Brazen. It, I, would, I would add to that to, to say, you know, myself growing up in production agriculture, beef industry, Justin, you too, and in, in, in growing up in there. We have, we have farmers and ranchers across this nation that have amazing practices in place. Now then we have a mechanism to be able to help them tell their story and think about the broader beef industry from the very beginning cow-calf all the way to the point in time that it delivers to the consumer and still be able to give the consumer beef that's juicy and flavorful and tender and, and what our farmers and ranchers produce uh, across this great nation. So it's, it's our opportunity to help do our part in that. Fantastic. Well, I know folks can learn more about Tyson's Climate Smart Beef program on the Tyson Foods website. The link is up on our website, markettalkag.com. And we appreciate the time today with that, Dr. Justin Ransom and also Chad Martin with Tyson. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, gentlemen, and uh, we appreciate it and have a great rest of your week. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, we'll talk about growing high-quality alfalfa and more with Curtis Rainbolt of BASF. Back with more on AOA right after this. 
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are Fighting Blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take Dig a Little, Learn a Lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a Little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Kevin Meyer, a lubricants technical expert with CHS, about the importance of preventative maintenance to keep equipment running as the 2023 cropping season begins. Kevin, with field work and planting underway, what should farms do to keep equipment in good repair to prevent unwanted downtime? Great question. I think, you know, like you mentioned, preventive maintenance is a really important thing just to, just to do in general. You know, making sure the equipment is clean replacing parts or, or things that are needed. You know, last thing you want to do is, is have that equipment break down in the field when it's needed most. And, and with that comes, you know, using good quality lubricants, you know, changing the oil out if, if it's needed, if it hasn't been done already, uh, you know, greasing up the equipment, using good quality lubricants are, are very important with that. Um, there are unfortunately some poor quality lubricants, poor quality greases that are out there. And unfortunately, those may not hold up to these extended drains that we're starting to see out, out in the field today, you know, 500, 600 hours on the engine. Um, and so you want to have a good lubricant, good grease that has that additive package and base oil that can that can hold up to those those drain intervals that we're seeing. You mentioned the importance of lubricants for ongoing spring maintenance. What are some tips for farmers to help them choose lubricants? I think a big thing is kind of looking for the specifications that are required by the OEM, by the equipment manufacturers that are out there. All OEMs will kind of have a specification that they're looking for, and a good quality lubricant will meet those specifications. And and in many cases, uh, like with our Senex products, you know, kind of exceed those um, specifications. So looking for those specs, looking for something that company that has a good, you know, reputable source. Any final thoughts for farmers working to get crops in the ground this spring? Just doing that preventive maintenance, putting the good quality lubricants and greases in there and, and just making sure that that equipment is is maintained, you know, because I think unfortunately when equipment breaks down, uh, bills are only getting more expensive, you know, year after year. So you want to kind of prevent that from happening in the first place. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. 
For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory-trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen in for Mike Pearson here on today's show. Joining us now on the program, we have Curtis Rainbolt. He is BASF's technical service representative as we talk about alfalfa and the upcoming alfalfa growing season, management for disease, weeds, and much more. Curtis, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Well, looking at high-quality alfalfa and really thinking about a crop that I think sometimes maybe we we lose sight of when we're thinking about our corn and our soybeans and our wheat, et cetera. But looking at alfalfa, such a key crop that we do grow here in the U.S. Let, let's just start. Uh, what is that overall outlook for the upcoming alfalfa growing season before we dive into thinking about managing weeds and insects, et cetera? What is just kind of the overall outlook as it stands right now? In general, I think things are pretty good for the alfalfa market, particularly when you're looking at our irrigated alfalfa acres. So those are acres that are pretty uh, intensively managed and they're producing that quality alfalfa, whether that's for the dairy or export market. And those markets have been reasonably strong, at least in, in the western U.S. where I'm located and certainly in California, you've heard of all the, uh, the water which uh, for our irrigated acres, oftentimes that's limited. So I, I think we'll be uh, in a pretty good position with water as we go in to produce these, these alfalfa crops this season. Well, as we go in and produce those alfalfa crops, of course, like any other crop that we grow, we got to worry about managing weeds and insects and diseases and you name it. So what are some management strategies uh, you would have for folks? I would have to think it, it probably starts with talking to and working with a, a local expert to manage some of the issues that are going to be in certain growing areas. Yeah, it really does vary based on on where you are and what you're going to run in throughout the course of the season. And alfalfa is a, a different crop, you know, being a perennial crop that's in the ground for multiple years. Uh, so your management is a little bit different. And then also you've got multiple cuttings per year, you know, depending on where you are, that could be say three to seven cuttings. And, and because of that, that's going to impact the way you manage it. Right now we're, we're coming out of dormancy where I'm located at in the Pacific Northwest, whereas, you know, down the desert of California, Arizona, they're, they're certainly going. But in my areas, we're coming out of dormancy. Obviously weeds are, are one of our first concerns. So if you didn't get an application down of a residual product while, while the crop was dormant, you know, you need to be thinking about something you can do in season. Uh, for BSF, one of the things we have that fits in that spot is Beyond Extra. Growers probably don't know that name. In the past, that product was called Raptor, uh, but we've made a name change there. Uh, when I hear the word Raptor, that's something they've probably worked with for 15 or 20 years. But, you know, a good selective herbicide for use in conventional hay uh, can help help manage a lot of weeds. But if you did get something out in dormancy, we, we hope maybe that was some Prowl H2O. Um, can manage a lot of difficult grass, broadleaf weeds, things like lambs quarters. Um, also, you know, dodder, one of our real challenging kind of oddball weeds we see in alfalfa. Uh, and then sharpen can help give us some winter annual control as, as we're coming out of winter too. So, you know, we've got a lot of tools for uh, herbicides and alfalfa. And, you know, it's, it's something if, if you've got a problem, we, we like to think we can find a solution. Well, and you mentioned some of those broadleaf weeds and diseases, et cetera. And I think part of it, too, looking at not only those solutions and also uh, being out there and maybe scouting your alfalfa crop a little bit just to identify anything new that, that might pop up that you hadn't seen before in your field, Curtis. Right. Yeah. Alfalfa is one of those crops that, that really the intensive uh, scouting will benefit you. Um, and and really, when we think about scouting, it's always it's always good. But, you know, when you have a long crop that's going throughout the season, multiple cuttings, the more you stay on it, the, the better off you can do. Um, right now, as we're coming out of dormancy, things to consider also would be would be diseases. We've had a really wet spring here and cool. Um, 
And so that's kind of the environment that can foster some disease. And we often see in my area disease in that first cutting is when it's most severe. And one thing's a little bit counter um, intuitive about disease in alfalfa is it's often in your best stand. Um, if you have an older stand that's got some weak spots and some weeds, we don't see as much disease there as we do in what's in your, your best thickest stands. And that's just because you get that moisture in there and you don't get a lot of wind movement. Um, and that's an ideal for environment for disease. So, uh, you know, while you can scout for disease um, in our area, I think the guys that, that grow alfalfa multiple years and the crop advisors that work in every year know that a preventative fungicide application is really going to give us the best control. doesn't fit in every cutting. As we get later in the season, we get dry, it's not needed. But this first cutting is, is one that we often want to protect with a fungicide like Preaxor. Well, Curtis, I, I think overall, and you mentioned a few products, BASF, of course, uh, fully invested partner in alfalfa production and providing some of those products for growers and also just providing expertise and insight as well with uh, technical service reps such as yourself. Yeah, we love working in alfalfa. It's kind of a core crop for us, particularly, like I said, in these irrigated acres out in the West. Uh, it's a very important crop. These growers are, are committed. It's not an easy thing to grow. And, and you know, they ha constantly have challenges. And, and both myself, my counterparts in the tech service group at BSF, our business representatives, we all take some pride in, in working in alfalfa. And it's, it's a crop we enjoy uh, trying to find some solutions for. So. Well, Curtis, I'm sure if growers have questions, they want to look at certain products for their alfalfa production, they could reach out to their local tech service rep, their local retailer, go online, a lot of different ways to get in touch, isn't there? Yeah, there really are. And I think the best way to start, we would like to partner with our crop advisors in the area. So, you know, that's a great place to start if you have a, a retail crop advisor or a consultant that you work with, ask that question. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, you're always welcome, you know, to go to BSF website for alfalfa to find more information or uh, reach out. We're, we're happy to help. We, we love getting on the alfalfa fields. So, Fantastic. Well, Curtis, before we let you go, anything else we haven't mentioned uh, about the upcoming alfalfa season that we need to keep in mind? Uh, you know, one tool maybe growers aren't aware of because it's relatively new is, is our insecticide Safina. And it's really a, a product that's targeting aphids. But we do in some areas have this pest called blue alfalfa aphid and it really can drag your yields down it injects a toxin into the plant and so the plant just doesn't grow which has an impact on yield and quality it's a challenging pest too some aphid products just don't do that well on it but safina is very effective so if you see that one or you see an aphid you're not aware of please work with your crop advisor and uh, get it identified or your local uh, university extension if it's blue alfalfa aphid or any aphid but uh, safina is, is a good tool for that well, great thoughts to consider with that BASF Technical Service Representative Curtis Rainbolt. Thanks for joining us today. We'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks, Jesse. And that's all the time we have for AOA today. Thanks to Mike Pearson for letting me sit in. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. 
Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.